This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Ned Group Investments Insights. Thank you for joining us today and a day after the Saab has introduced us to another rate cut. What we try to do across Negroup Investments and all of our investments teams, so the best of breed team, multi-managers, core and cash teams and our in-house Neg Group asset management is we try to help end investors answer questions that are really pertinent to how they will be able to achieve their end investment goals. And that to do that, we spend a lot of time looking at the material that a lot of our fund managers provide to us, but also some proprietary analysis that we conduct on various asset classes. What we have for you today is a discussion on where we have come this year in terms of interest rates and what that impact that has had on the interest that people will be earning on their cash and income generating investments. Our presenter today is Douglas Nickel. He's a member of the Best of Breed Analyst team. He's a lead analyst on a number of our funds, including Flexible Income, which is a multi-asset diversified income strategy. He has been looking at this subject matter since March, since we've the pandemic-induced weakness in markets and the rate cuts have been introduced by the government. Now, we have the ability to ask questions. So on the right-hand side, you'll see a Q&A panel. Please do so uh, as we go through. I will pick up these questions and address them to Doug towards the end of the presentation. Also, if you are an advisor looking for CPD points and have had to join as anonymous, please would you submit your ID number on that pane as well. On that note, I'm going to hand on to Doug and uh, let him take us through the presentation. Thank you very much, Doug. Thanks, Rob, and uh, welcome, everyone. I do believe that today what I have to present to you is, is certainly what I believe one of the biggest challenges that's going to be facing South African retail market. And it really has to do with the yield curve. South Africa now faces one of the steepest yield curves in its, in its democratic history. And what this means is that the returns for invested in short-dated bonds has now fallen, while for longer-dated bonds, they've remained stubbornly high. And over the past few years, we've seen a large movement of assets in the market into these short-dated interest-bearing funds. And obviously now going forward, the return prospects for those investors is now reduced. And so during the course of today, I'd like to talk you through around what the yield, how the yield curve has changed, why it's changed, and then look at some of the risks around the longer end of the yield curve, and then introduce to you what I believe is, is, is probably a great opportunity to start discussions around a multi-asset low equity fund, which offers a credible alternative to someone in, a, in an interest-bearing fund that is looking to increase their risk profile in order to generate higher returns in their portfolio. So let me kick off. So the first, sli the first slide I have here is a slide that, or it's certainly a graph that caught my attention in March um, when we had the COVID crash. And it plots the South African government yield curve and it compares it at the start of the year, which is the dark green line, to where we are to where it to where it was at the end of March. And effectively what this what this chart is doing is it plots the yield on a bond for different debt maturities of, of government debt. So for example, the, the R2A8 
the return that you were getting on that bond for effectively a one-year bond at the start of the year was 6.72%. Whereas when we, where we saw it fall to after the crash, it fell to about 4.85%. And what's quite interesting is the shape of this curve and how it's changed. So leading into the start of this year, this curve was, was quite flat. And clearly sitting in cash, you were getting quite a nice yield when you compare it to some of the longer dated bonds when you work across to the right of the chart. But that situation changed really quickly and it changed fast. As we saw in March, investors literally dumping um, South African bonds, particularly the R108 and the, and the R2030, which is where a lot of investors have been sitting. And so you saw these yields spike. So for example, the R108 went up to a yield of 11.5%, whereas on the 10-year it went up to 12.3%. And clearly, when you look at the differential between now the short end and the and the middle and the middle of the curve, that that um, that difference widened, and that's why you saw a lot of a lot of fund managers allocating to these to these two bonds to the R186 and the 2030 during during quarter one. But where are we sitting now? So I've done exactly the same graph, just comparing where we were at the start of the year. So that's the light green line to where we are at the end or at the middle of the year, which is the dark green line, and. You've now seen the short end come down even further. And the reason for that is mainly to do with, is mainly to do with central bank rate cuts. We've also seen um, some of the medium term bonds, so the R186 and the 2030 have come down, but still the long end has failed to adjust. And there still seems to be credible value. So what I'm going to take you through now is just kind of look at what's happening at the short end and then taking a look at what is happening at the long end. So at the short end of the curve, or the short end of the curve has pretty much come down mainly due to obviously this migration into shorter dated bonds as investors have tried to protect themselves. But a large portion of that reduction in, year, in, in the returns on your shorter dated bonds has been the result of the Saab's aggressive rate cuts. And if you look at what the Saab is trying to achieve, its primary focus is banks is is, is um, price stability, but it also looks to to ensure that the that the country um, achieves sustainable growth. And because of this, they're very concerned with growth, inflation, and where the economy is trading in terms of its potential growth growth levels. And clearly, those dynamics have changed, and that has enabled them to um, to cut rates. And so this this chart here effectively just points out exactly what that meant. There is a lot of numbers on this chart, so I, I, do, I do forgive you, I, I do ask for your forgiveness, but it, it does display some critically interesting information and it does look towards where potentially rates could be um, in the next two, two to three years. So I think the, 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 the real question is, well, we've seen rates being cut, they've been cut by almost 3%. So what has enabled this? Well, there are three main variables which the Saab are really interested in, and that's headline inflation, the GDP growth rate, and the difference between where the economy is growing and where the, and where the economy can potentially grow. And where we see the economy outpacing growth or outpacing its potential growth rate, and where you see that output gap being positive, you're likely to see there being that you're likely to see there being inflationary pressure. And so what I've done here is I've effectively shown, well, what, what were the Saab's forecasts for each of these variables for different periods of time? And how have these changed 
after after each after they've met um, over the last six months. And what you can see here is clearly inflation has come down. Their their expectations for inflation have come down. Their GDP growth rates have come down, and now our economy is growing and the output gap has widened. And that's clearly enabled an environment where we can start to see a, a more a, a more monetary easing policy coming in. And this is important because now we're seeing that where interest rates are likely to go, and I'll point your attention to the bottom right-hand corner, is that we're seeing the repo rate is, is likely to stay below 4% for, for the next two years, and is only likely to rise, about, to, to rise at around 4.7% by 2022. And that's significant because when you look at where, at where the inflation rates are expected to go, we're starting to see an environment where the real return on an in, or the real the real interest rate is sitting close to zero and possibly and and possibly negative. But where we likely to see real real, real yields go grow. So what I've plotted here is I've effectively said, well, what is the potential? Where where can we see Jabo rates effectively go if there's a if there's if there's further cuts that come through or if there's no cuts? And so I've plotted two scenarios here. So no cuts, but potentially another 25% basis point cut. And this just demonstrates the point that when you in, when you use some of the inflation figures in that the Saab is putting forward, we're starting to see rates going closer and closer to zero. And this is important because cash has been a really good asset allocation in recent years. And this chart shows it. If you look at the past five years, the light shaded area effectively shows you the difference between those two, the, the two green lines above it. And those two green lines plot the JIBAR rate, which is a proxy for cash, for cash returns, and inflation. And you can see that that, 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 that blue line has consistently been close to or above 2.5%, and at times has even, has even broached 3% levels. So clearly you've been receiving fantastic returns if you've been investing in very short dated instruments that have provided you with tremendous capital protection. But that's changed. The, the JIBOR rate has come down and that's been the direct result of interest rate cuts. And the inflation rate, although it's low at the moment, there's still incredible pressures on that going up. And we likely to see that rise over the next, over the next few lines. But why is this important? Well, this is really, really important to SA retail investors because they're in short are exposed to short term interest rates. We estimate based on the CISA stats that about 42% of the retail net assets are invested in interest bearing funds. And that's more than the combined amounts of MA and that's more than and that's more than the combined amount that's invested in SA multi assets. But I would obviously give a word of caution to these numbers, given that some of the money market funds that we see do have institutional flows. But that being said, if we break down exactly what those interest-bearing funds are looking at, we've still seen the MA income and the IB money markets share of the market almost double over the last five years. And this is important because, for example, the IB money market or even the the IB short term or even the IB money market are exposed to very high quality but very short dated assets. And those these funds are fantastic because what they do is they offer you significant downside protection. They give you liquidity. 
They give you liquidity. So if you want your money, you can go and you can take it out. Um, and they often offer you yield enhancements over, over bank deposits. But that liquidity and capital protection does come at a price. And you'll notice that the majority of those returns are based on high quality, short dated bonds that will adjust with short term interest rates. And this makes them very vulnerable in a rate cutting cycle or to inflation spikes. The MA income funds do offer you slightly better flexibility in that they are invested in, in asset classes that do provide greater yield enhancements, such as convertible bonds, preference shares, inflation linked bonds, and they do have sometimes offer you offshore exposure. But they still very much are tasked with a capital preservation objective over quite short periods, generally around 6%. And because of this, they are limited to the amount of risk that they can take. And as a result, they tend to sit quite low down in the yield curve. So clearly in each of these categories, investors are exposed to the rate cutting environment. So where do you find yield? Do you go up the risk curve where we saw the yields looking quite attractive? Well, what I've done here is I've effectively looked at what has the spread between different, different um, points of that yield curve what is the spread between different points of the yield curve and how has that changed over time? And quite clearly, if you look at the, at the blue line, if we look at where that was in March, the difference between the a five year bond and money market or three month, th a three month bond, which is pretty much cash, that spiked to levels that we hadn't seen since 1998, which was when, when we had the Irish, uh, the Asian crisis. But that has come down. If you then look, if we then look at the middle end of the OK, the medium, medium term, and we look at the spread between the 10 and the five year, we see that that also spiked, but that hasn't come down. And neither has the spread between the 20 and the 10 year. So clearly, if we look at those two, if we look at that, those two sections of the yield curve, they've increased, but they failed to adjust. And they're now some, at some of the highest levels that we've seen since 1994. But I guess the next question is, well, how does this compare to other emerging markets? Nikki Weimer in her macro, uh, in her response to the supplementary budget, put up a really interesting slide when she presented to us a couple of weeks ago. And it effectively showed the policy responses by different countries in emerging markets. So that's the short term policy changes. So that's effectively reject reductions in, in policy rates. And then it looked at how the long end of these of, of each country's yields curve has responded. And you can see that across the board, emerging markets have cut interest rates. And to date, they've, and they've cut them even more this month. What's different is that for other emerging markets, you've also seen a reduction in yields for longer, for longer dated bonds, except for South Africa. South Africa's long-term bonds have actually increased. So that might be saying something. It could be saying that there's a fantastic opportunity for investors to take longer, longer duration bonds and bring them into their portfolios. And if we do get a risk on rally in the global markets, you could stand to, to, to achieve significant returns as our longer bonds start to price closer and better relative to, to the emerging market peers. But it could be saying something else. It could be saying that at the longer end of the curve, there's more significant risk. And unfortunately, that seems to be the case. 
investors are very concerned about a potential default in South African debt. And why is this important? Well, short, shorter dated bonds typically will adjust to will typically adjust depending on what happens to your interest rates and what the outlook for inflation is. When you start to look out at longer dated bonds, they're more concerned with, well, what's the what where is the economy going? What is the likely projected inflation levels that we're likely to see? And so they're very much concerned about the long-term the long-term outlook for an economy. And when they look at a graph like this, which is Tito and Bueni's hippo's mouth, which plots the, the, the projected levels of South Africa's debt to GDP level, they look at this graph and they say very quickly, South Africa could potentially face a default. Now, what does a default actually mean? Well, South Africa ha actually has quite an interesting structure to its debt program, which allows us a very fortunate tool to use in the case of not being able to fund our debt. And that's because most of our debt is, so that is RAND denominated. And what that means is that, is, that South African, is that South Africa as a country can effectively print their way to finance their, to finance their deficit. But that comes with a consequence. If you print money, that's likely to lead to more supply of money in your, in your, in your financial system. If you've got more supply of money, that chases more goods and services, and as a result, you're likely to see inflation. If your inflation rises above the inflation rates of your, of your competitor, of your trading partners, that's likely to see a depreciation of your currency, which means that as, an, as a foreign investor coming into South Africa, you're likely to face a higher, a higher inflation rate going forward, as well as a depreciating rand. And that makes our bonds slightly or much more of a risky bet the further you push out in, into the future. And that's effectively what investors are pricing in. So now what do you do? You're sitting in cash, you're looking at this yield curve, you're thinking there seems to be fantastic relative returns based on history compared to our emerging market partners. Do you increase the amount of bonds in your portfolio. Well, if you increase your bonds to your portfolio, you're facing a lot of risk. So where do you go? What do you do? Well, you can either remain in your cash. And cash is, a, as I've explained, it's, it's, a fantastic, it's a fantastic place to put your money because you can benefit from significant downside risk. You've got great liquidity. You can take that money out at any point, but you are exposed to lower returns in our interest rate cutting cycle. And that's what we're experiencing. So clearly to remain invested in, in interest bearing funds, you are going to have to accept a lower level of returns. And I've, as, as I've said before, increase your bond exposure. That's the second option. You know, you're likely to outperform short data, the short date, the short end of the curve. You're likely to receive quite high yields compared or quite high returns compared to inflation. And again, there is a level of capital preservation if you stay in the short end of the curve or if you stay in the medium end of the curve. But these bonds are exposed to interest rate sensitivities. If we suddenly have a risk off environment again, those bonds do fall, the bond values do fall in money as you see people selling and going into cash. The other thing that you've got to consider is inflation. If you fix your return out into the longer term, that money is fixed. You, you, that doesn't increase or decrease. Your return is fixed. 
Now, if suddenly your exp expectations for inflation lower than what inflation actually is, then you're likely to get lower real returns. And so that's why inflation is a real concern for bond investors. And that's why we think a move into a multi-asset low equity strategy is a good idea at this point of the cycle. Because what it does is it, it, it provides you with greater exposure to growth assets, such as equities and commodities, and also offshore assets, which gives you RAND protection. But it also allows the manager to play across elongated bonds. But what is, what, what is attractive about these type of funds compared for an investor with a more capital or for, with a more loss averse mindset is that the managers are constrained in the amount of risky assets that they can take on. And the, cap, and the equity is, is capped at 40%. And the investors are generally tasked with a capital preservation mindset. However, it is important to point out that where you do have greater growth assets coming into your portfolio, you're likely to see a greater level of volatility. And this, an investor should expect periods of drawdowns and underperformance versus the interest-bearing funds. And that's an important consideration. So let's look a little bit closer at some of the relative performance of a modeled equity fund, which I was given to, which, which was given to me by our core team. So thanks very much for that. And I'm going to look at how these, at how this model put, modeled low equity fund compared against some interest-bearing funds and a, an inflation benchmark. So I've got two charts here. The first, or the two, two, two diagrams here. The first one is the table in the top, top corner. And what this table does is I've effectively asked the question, well, what is my probability of outperforming a cash plus three, or an inflation plus 3% benchmark and I, the average return on the IB short-term fund category and the MA income fund category? And I've said over different rolling periods, what is my percentage, what is my chance or my probability of outperforming? And these results show that your probability of outperforming each of these, each of these items is greater than 50%. And what that means, and what it also shows is that the longer, the longer you stay invested in these funds, the greater the opportunity or the greater the probability is for you outperforming interest-bearing funds and, a, and, a, and an inflation benchmark. But what's also quite significant is on the right-hand side of that portfolio, I plotted over these periods, what was the, uh, what, wh how often did you receive a negative return? And over one-year periods, you can see that about in about 6% of the time, there were negative, negative returns. But in the vast majority of periods of, of those rolling 12 months returns, the returns were positive. When you start to extend the amounts of, of time that you stay in these investments, your ability or your potential for, for outperforming or for delivering a positive return increased. But that rolling one year is quite important. And that, because where you are, because as I said before, you are exposing yourself to greater levels of growth assets. And because of that, you're likely to experience slightly more volatility. And that's plotted in the distribution in the chart below that, which shows the maximum 
and the minimum that your career received um, over a 12-year 12-year period, 12-month, or this is the maximum rolling 12-month return, and the minimum 12-month return. And then it also looks at then it also compares the average return that you like that investors received in each of these categories. And what this shows is that you're likely to get a higher average return result by investing in an MA low, low equity fund compared to IB short term and MA income. But you're also likely to experience a much more volatile, a volatile uh, return profile. And on top of that, you are likely to receive, uh, you are likely to see negative returns over 12 months. So I do believe that's important because clearly if you are, if an investor is looking to move into a higher, into a higher risk category, they need to be aware that the returns that they're likely to get are likely to come with high, high levels of volatility, albeit this, this, this is likely to be curtailed by the, by the limitations that, that managers will face in terms of these portfolios. But one of the things I thought was interesting to look at, and this is the slide I'm going to conclude on, is I wanted to plot, well, what was the difference on these 12 monthly returns over time? And what this chart shows is it looks at when the MA equity, MA low equity model underperformed versus the average South African interest-bearing short-term fund average and versus the MA income average. And so where the, the lines or the bars are below this, the line is the periods of underperformance. And obviously where the lines were above the line, those were the periods of, of outperformance. But what I've got here is I've also plotted the Saab repo, repo rate. And what's quite interesting is that after rate cutting, just before, during interest hiking cycles, you tend to see the MA model port, MA low equity model portfolio underperform. So that's during the during 2002 up to 2002, and we saw the same happening in 2008, where there was another rate cutting cycle. But where the MA inc, where the MA where the MA low equity funds tended to outperform were periods after rate cutting cycles, and that occurred in 2003 and in 2008. And so I guess we're sitting now and we're saying, well, are we in entering into another one of these cycles? So why and yeah, and and I guess we see this as being as making a lot of sense because once we have when we have when we have had when we have had rate cutting cycles, you tend to see this followed by a period of recovery in the markets or in, in your economies as your interest rates are cut. And generally, it is a better idea to, to rotate into growth assets at the bottom of a cycle to enjoy those, the, the recovery period. And we saw this recovery in equity markets, in equity markets recently, which is why the last two, two charts that we see, or the two, last two bars that we see on that graph are positive. So I guess as an investor, we're now looking at the situation. There's a lot of risks out there. But there's also a lot of risks facing cash investors. Cash investors are now forced into what we see as is, is into somewhat of a quandary where over the last few years, they've enjoyed incredible real returns. But that situation has changed with rate cuts. They have a choice. They can either stay invested in those, in, in that, in those categories. They can accept a lower return and receive fantastic capital protection. 
but some some investors may be forced to seek higher returns. They can go into bond markets, but as we've discussed, that comes with 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 its own risks. And what we're seeing as being a more creditive, credible alternative is to move into a more diversified portfolio. And low equity funds provide what we what we deem a, a good alternative because investors can gain access to a controlled level of growth while the managers still remain focused on capital preservation, albeit over longer periods and are likely to, to, to generate inflation plus returns. Thanks very much for your time, everyone. And that's all I have today. But look, we're happy to take some questions now and I'm sure hopefully we can, we, we can assist. Thank you very much, Doug. It's certainly a lot of food for thought there and some interesting analysis in, in a number of the charts you provide. What I'd like you to do first or answer first is a couple of the questions that have come through about recent performance and the reason why people have been investing in cash over the last few years is because the alternative hasn't been that attractive or the alternative hasn't provided the expected returns. But let's let's just put our forward looking hats on and you've done that slightly in the last slide there. But from this point going forward, cash investors can expect what level of return and why are they now being forced to to shift up the risk curve to take more risk to achieve an inflation beating return? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question, because when you look at these average returns on this chart over rolling 12 months, your yield pickup. So if you compare your average on your on your low equity fund is about 9.2% over the past 12 years, and that compares to about 7.6% for IB short term and 7.7% for sitting in your average MA income fund. So clearly your yield pickup is quite small. It's only around 1.6%. So why, you know, is, is there an attractive reason to shift? But I do think that these returns are, are slightly misleading in that, in that you know, investors can expect this to be a lot lower. I know the yield on our, on, on our flex income fund has come down quite a bit. We're now sit, sitting at around, at around six and a half. So, and that's on an MA income fund. So I think where we likely to see, you know, as I said before, you, you're probably on a, on a money market or sorry, on an interest bearing fund or on a, an MA income fund, you're likely to see returns coming down and probably sitting around the 5%, 5% level for MA income and, and slightly lower than that on, on your money market or on your interest bearing short-term fund. And, and the reason I say that is because these rates are not rising in the near, in the near future, but you can see here that, that, that interest is still coming up. So I think that's the real interest rate that's, that's going to be, that's going to come under pressure. Okay. I think I'm not sure that everybody can see the slide pack. If the guys could put the slide pack up, a few great questions that are coming through. So I'm, I'm going to keep you on your toes a bit longer. Doug, would, if you would just go back to the slide where you plot the real rates based on the Saab expectations. And I'll just ask you a question on that. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is based on the information we have that our expectations from the Saab on where we will be going in terms of their rate cuts and the inflation levels, this is what is this is the real returns i.e the returns in excess of inflation if you if you stay invested in in cash or or if you or your your cash proxy which is the jibar rate 
Yeah. And uh, sorry, yeah, so, my follow up yeah. question is that is this chart before or after yesterday's rate cut? This chart is after yesterday's rate cut. It actually looks slightly better. It looks slightly better because the inflation figures that the SAR printed were they, they, they actually have a, a lower expectation on on inflation. But this is quite an interesting chart because your money market fund, so your floating rate debt, will be priced off JIBAR. So JIBAR is effectively the rate that banks can lend from each other or the rate that banks do lend to each other. And so what you tend to see is that money markets will pick up a, a small spread, so maybe about 1% to 1.2% for taking on, on credits. And that's what forms the majority of, of your interest-bearing funds. So clearly, you know, you might see uh, you know, you might see these floating data, data instruments sitting at around you know, cl close to 1% in real terms. Okay, thank you. And then you talked about people who are currently invested in cash needing to take on more risk. Is that, is that everybody or is that people who are able to take on more risk? Yeah, I think that's important. I think your investment horizon is important. You know, if you have if, if your goal is 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 for capital preservation over a short period of time, cash is a great alternative. Where where you sit in terms of in terms of the interest bearing category, if you've got a very, very short period, like you know, a month or a month or so, money markets is is a great option. If you've got slightly longer than that, you know, maybe three months, interest bearing short term uh, funds are a great alternative. And where you're looking at maybe six, six, twelve months you you start to seeing the MA income being attractive. But yeah, but where you start to look at an investment horizon beyond that and an investor's looking to gain, you know, and, and investors starting to become less concerned about capital preservation over short periods and they need to take on higher, they need to generate high levels of return. That's where we see in MA income funds being more attractive. And there's two reasons for that. Well, there are three reasons. The first reason is that they have the ability to sit slightly higher up, up that yield curve so they can generate higher returns compared to the lower end. And this, the second reason is that they can take on growth assets, both, South both in South Africa and abroad. And then the third reason is, is to do with the fact that they can take offshore exposure so that they can tacti tactically play a weakening of the RAND, which is another driver of return. Okay, th thanks very much, Doug. Regarding your thesis on this good question that's come through thesis on the returns of the asset classes in the MA income sector and and the low equity sector there is obviously an implicit assumption that those asset classes will advance from here now wh what are the risks or why why do you feel that those risks are muted now given where we are in terms of interest rates yeah, it's a very it's a very good question because we could see another fall in um, in rates. I think that question is is twofold in that if you sit in cash, you know that you're going to get a lower return. So what are your what are your alternatives, and where can you potentially generate higher returns? And that's where you know that's where growth assets start to become a little bit more attractive. So you know we are coming off quite a off quite a low base. There's a lot of negative news in the market, and so yeah, I guess your your return prospects, or I guess you want to position yourself in an area where potentially you can generate you can generate high, higher levels of return. So these low equity 
low equity funds, it's it's not that they've, you know, they, they do have a controlled level of, of growth assets in their, in their portfolio. So it's not like they're taking a full bet on equity markets suddenly rallying. There are other areas of the market where they do play, such as long-term bonds, such as such as commodities, as well as you know equities both globally and here, which they can play on. And I think it's more so that more diversified exposure to other factors as opposed to just interest rates that positions them better than a short-dated cash fund. Okay, that's a good point. And you touched on the uh, additional risks that people are taking on with the SA government bond exposure as you move out on the yield curve. So would you just touch on on what those would be? I mean, if you if I go out and buy the R2030, the 10-year bond, what what are my assumptions that I'm going to receive by buying that bond? Yeah, so let me maybe put the yield curve up so that I can talk to the actual numbers. Yeah, so if you went out into the market and you bought and you bought the R2030, so that's currently giving or at the end of June, it, it gives you around nine, nine and a half percent. Effectively, what you're doing is you're buying an estimated return of nine percent per year. Now, I guess you've got two risks. You've got a few risks. The first one is that that bond will will retire in th- in thirty years. And at that time, you you will receive your money back. In that interim period, you are effectively compensated for taking on the risk of the government not paying you back, and and that risk is effect you compensated with interest. And that interest you like to receive is about nine nine point two nine point three percent, let's say. So what are your risks? So the first risk is inflation because your return is um if your inflation if your inflation outlook is wrong and we suddenly get inflation of instead of five percent we get we get uh six seven percent your real return will come down and you will have to live with that um your other risk is obviously is obviously the government not paying you back that risk given that it's the country does have the ability to print money is slightly less muted but it's still it's still a risk that you do have to consider okay thanks doug so i think if people expect the government to pay the, the interest Sorry, payments yeah. and the principal back at the end, then that 9.25% for the next 10 years looks fairly attractive relative to current short-term yeah. rates. And obviously, if interest rates, as you mentioned, the government are talking about the back end of next year, potentially looking at interest rate rises again, if inflation runs away, if interest rates do start to rise and they come back up to the levels that we've been used to, then that 9.25% looks less attractive. Yes, yes, because effectively what happens is the shorter date or the shorter dated bonds, you'll see interests, interest rates increasing. But because you locked in for longer periods, of longer a fixed rate turn profile, your returns are fixed. The other point I just wanted to mention is that in that interim period, you could have risk on or risk on events, which could lead to either buying or selling in the market, which could lead to capital um, adjustments. But if you hold that bond to maturity, those co- those capital adjustments are, are, are more an accounting mechanism. Okay. Well, Doug, thank you very much. We just about run out of time today. There's a lot of great information in this pack that we'll be able to make available to everyone who requests it from their Negrip Investments contact. There's been a lot of questions on data within the slide pack. We've used 
as much data as, as possible or that we can get our hands on that bring more information to to help you make the decision. So we're not looking at short term recent periods. We're looking as much history as possible and therefore we think that's more pertinent using more data points going back through time. And just like to find off by sign off by saying, you know, within our Neg Group Investments range, we do have money market and cash funds that have been offering incredibly attractive yields and they do provide an, an additional return over and above the, the rate that you'll be earning in, in, in your current account. We do have a multi-asset income fund, the flexible income, which D Douglas Nickel is our, is our lead analyst on this fund and he is constantly making sure that the team there at ABAX are running that fund to protect capital but provide an inflation beating return. And then we also have two offerings in the low equity multi-asset space which is our stable fund and our core guarded fund which over 10 years those two funds are ranking in the top top and second performing funds over that time period. This session will be recorded and made available for everybody after the session so if you have colleagues that would benefit from this information please share the link that will be sent round. And on that note, I'd like to thank everybody for joining us today. I'd like to thank Doug for his work on the analysis within this pack and, and presenting us with this information. So on that note, thanks very much from me, Doug, and the rest of the guys at Neg Group Investments. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Neg Group Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Neg Group Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.